This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. It's Tuesday, which means it's time for Grace Enough Podcast, Episode 41. Today, my guest is Susan Alexander Yates. We chat about how to thrive in life's transitions. Chatting with Susan felt like chatting with an old friend. She is wise and experienced. She loves Jesus and people, and she gives practical tips for so many phases of life. Honestly, I could have talked to her for hours because oftentimes I need answers to really practical questions. Like, how often did you go to the grocery store when you had five children living at home? Her perspective on transition is helping me shift my perspective, and I believe it will help you too. Listen to what Susan says about that restless feeling so many of us experience. I think when you're young and you're a young mom, you have this vision, one day I'll get there to whatever that mystical there is. The there is where you trust Christ. You just live in that trust relationship. You don't struggle. You don't have fear. You don't fall apart. We have this unrealistic expectation that we'll get there. But, you know, really, we'll never get there this side of heaven. In heaven, we'll be there because we are fallen people in a fallen world. And really, we're citizens of heaven. So we will always have this bit of restlessness within our soul of wanting to get there. And again, that's a God-given restlessness because we were created for heaven, not this earth. So the question is, how can we grow in relying more on God and being less controlled by the frantic things going on in our life? After today's episode, I hope you have a few practical takeaways to implement in your day-to-day life that help you thrive while living in transition. Good morning, Susan. Thank you so much for taking time to be on the Grace Enough podcast. Oh, Amber, I'm so thrilled to be here. Thanks for asking me. Absolutely. Well, how we get started is just making sure our listeners know who you are. So will you take a moment and introduce us to yourself, your family, tell everybody a little bit about what you do? Sure. Well, I'm Susan Yates. I'm married to John Yates. Uh, We've been in ministry our whole life. And actually, this summer, we celebrated 50 years of marriage, which is really exciting. We have five children. They're all married and we have 21 grandchildren. So it's a little crazy around the Yates household when we're all together. Oh my goodness. That is crazy. Except I just always think like being a grandparent does have to be so much different than being a parent in good ways. It is in really good ways, but you know, you still worry about your children and you worry about your grandchildren. So you're always praying down generations. Oh, That's a good word. Well, tell everybody a little bit about what you do besides just, I mean, you write and all the other things. Yeah, I write. My two big passions are writing and speaking. I've written 15 books. Some of your listeners may be familiar with some of them. And then I had kids was my first one for parents in 
the season of parenting young children. And then followed, and then I had teenagers and, and character matters for building character in families. And Barbara Rainey and I did one on the empty nest. And more recently, I've done one called Risky Faith, Becoming Brave Enough to Believe the God Who's Bigger Than Your World. And then I also have a devotional book out called The One Devotional. So mm. I blog at SusanAlexanderYates.com. And I speak. I love to speak. Yeah. My speaking and writing sort of go hand in hand because I'm a real people person. That's awesome. So my my books grow out of my a lot out of my speaking and my interactions with people like you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love really before we dive into what we're talking about today, I love for people to just tell our listeners how you came to know Jesus. How did your faith journey begin? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question because I, in my heart, I love to share Christ more than anything else. And I was privileged, Amber, to grow up in a strong Christian family. It was more of a church-going family. You know, it was back in the day when, for my parents' generation, they didn't share really personal things. Yeah. So growing up in the church, I, I, I can't remember a time when I didn't believe God or believe in Jesus, but I didn't really have a personal relationship to him. And I thought that being a Christian was more about being good. And if it was just a little more good than bad, one day I'd get to go to heaven. Oh, yes. And I didn't understand that it wasn't works. And so it really wasn't until my, after my sophomore year in college when I had an opportunity to bum around Europe with some girlfriends and we ran into some guys. And these were really sharp guys. And one of them asked me, he said, Susan, are you a Christian? And I thought, oh, my goodness, what an odd question. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, he was cute. And was right, right. Somebody who was cute asking those kind of questions. But. I said to him, I said, well, I think I am. I hope I am. I've always believed. And he said a really interesting thing to me. He said, Susan, God doesn't want you to think you are or hope Mm. you are. He wants you to know with absolute certainty. And he just basically shared with me the gospel and that God loved me, but that I was sinful and that Jesus was the answer. But all of that was not new to me because Mm -hmm. of growing up with a church background. But it was the next part that was sort of the clincher. He said, But we each have to individually receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And what I realized, Amber, was that I had been living on what I would call an inherited faith. Yeah. It wasn't a personal faith. And I had never personally asked Christ to come into my life. And also, I'd been going on works. And my friend said, you know, Susan, nothing you can do is good enough. You are Mm -hmm. a sinful person. Mm -hmm. So he just shared with me the verse from Revelation 3.20 that, It's the picture of Jesus standing at the door of our heart and says, behold, or look, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. And so he asked me if I'd like to pray a prayer and ask Christ into my life. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is really weird. Yeah, right. So I he said, how about I pray the prayer and you follow along silently? So that's what we did. I Mm -hmm. he he said the words and I said them in private and asked Jesus to come into my heart and you know, for me, it wasn't an emotional experience. It is for many people, but God knows how we're packaged. And for me, it was moving from an inherited faith to a personal faith. Mm-hmm. And that was really where my life turned around and not in a dramatic way. And nobody could have noticed, but I had a hunger as I went back to campus that fall to get to know this Jesus in a really personal way. Well, and I love that you point out just how we do have to move from that inherited faith to a personal faith because when you do grow up in the church, it's really, really easy to get in that mentality of, well, if I just am good and believe, then I'm going to be okay. That's right. 
And, you know, that's not the gospel. It's not. <laughs> the gospel is none of us are okay. Yeah, we need Jesus, Jesus no matter what. We really do. <laughs> Each and every one of us. Well, today I could ask you a million questions. And honestly, you have wisdom that I'd love to dig into on a lot of different topics. But we're going to talk about transition. And that's something that I know you've become, you know, really passionate about sharing. And so all of us deal with transitions. And... I've learned with children, those transitions are constant. They come <laughs> at us, I mean, almost daily, maybe not that frequently, but it's pretty frequent. If you have more than one child, you know, there are personalities are all different. So you may be transitioning with one and not transitioning with another. But with that said, before we really dig into that, you wrote some just typical transitions that we all go through. Will you share those a little bit to let our listeners just kind of know what are some transitions that we typically go through in life? Well, I think the most obvious one is the transition in seasons. You know, we go from being single for some of us to being married, to parenting young children, to parenting teens, mm -hmm. to the empty nest, to parenting adult children, to being single again for some. So we have those biological seasons in life. And yeah. in every season has its challenges and every season has its blessings. But there are other types of transitions too. There's a transition, there's loss, a move, the loss of a close friend, the loss of a family me member, caring for elderly parents. They're just the normal everyday transitions, a new career, a new, new boss and an old career. That's a big one. <laughs> um, there's just the simple daily transitions. Like I bet for some of your listeners this summer, we're back in the saddle now. Mm -hmm. And early on, when I was in your season of life, I found that you go away from vacation and vacation with children does not mean rest. It means really running a family camp. And I, I had learned quickly. We to call it family trip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to learn to change your expectations. And then another little transition that happens really for any of us, when we come home from being away, I find that those kids that were really sweet to each other when you were away or those wonderful conversations you and your husband had, or if you're away with just a girlfriend, the great time you had, coming back is always hard. Mm, and you yeah. transition, you can feel blue or depressed just for about three days. Yeah. And it helped me to name it re-entry. So mm. when you return from something special where you leave responsibilities and you come back to responsibility, <laughs> just count on being a little blue. Call yeah. it re-entry and realize it'll go away in three days. So that's just a normal transition. But I think the key here, Amber, is that we tend to think and live as if stability is the norm. Mm. That's what we expect when things just calm down. But the reality is life never calms down. Mm. And we have to switch gears in terms of our expectation. Our expectation is not that stability is the norm. But the reality is transition is the norm. Yeah. That's the norm. And stability are those rare exceptions. So I think the first thing that helps in coping with transition is to realize that this is the norm. I love that. That does help me because what, what is it? It's just our brains function better when we name it appropriately. Right. You're exactly right. And when we realize what is normal, normal is transition and stability is a rare exception. Oh, so you're you. grateful for those little times of transition. <laughs> Of stability. You're That's grateful right. for those really times of stability, but you realize that you, like everyone else, we live in transition. Well, tell me, with transition, you have said 
you know, switching from that life of anxiety to a life of adventure is part of something that you went through. Yeah. How would you describe that? How did you make that switch in your brain years and years ago of I'm not going to live in transition anxious all the time, but instead I'm going to view it more as an adventure? Well, that's a great question. But let me quickly say, Amber, you never get there. And I think, um, I think when you're young and you're a young mom, you have this vision, one day I'll get there to whatever that mystical there is. The there is where you trust Christ. You just live in that trust relationship. You don't struggle. You don't have fear. You don't fall apart. We have this unrealistic expectation yeah. that we'll get there. But, you know, really, we'll never get there this side of heaven. In heaven, we'll be there because we are fallen people in a fallen world. And really, we're citizens of heaven. So we will always have this bit of restlessness within our soul of wanting to get there. And again, that's a God-given restlessness because we were created for heaven, Mm. not this earth. So the question is, how can we grow in relying more on God and being less controlled by the frantic things going on in our life. Mm -hmm. I think that's really where it is. And just to let the air out of your balloon that you won't get there, that it's a process and you'll be learning this for the rest of your life. And there's some things you can do to learn to cope with transition, whatever your transition is. I can jump right in on one of them is to anticipate and plan ahead as best you can. Now, A lot of times anticipating a transition, you've got to make a mess before you realize, oh, I won't get that way again. (laughs) But I'll I'll tell you just a story. We have some sweet friends, a couple who just had their fourth baby. And, you know, they were thrilled and they were going home from the hospital. And Matt, the dad, pulled off the side of the road and he said to Amy, he said, "Okay, sweetie, what we're going to is going to be hard. We're going home to three three tiny children with the fourth one. And we just need to decide now that we're going to grant each other extra grace Mm. and we're going to get through it. And now Mac learned that from going home three other times with the new day. So (laughs) amen to that. (laughs) Basically, you know, he learned to anticipate. But here again, just articulating that, sweetie, we're going to choose to grant each other extra grace because we're going to be cranky and tired and exhausted and sleep deprived and frustrated. And we're going to get through it. That just sort of had a soothing way of anticipating a transition because of past experience and being able to just say, okay, we're going to do this one a little bit differently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm listening to you and I'm just like, yeah, it's the story of my life. In the frantic, I just get so anxious and I just think the best way to deal with this is to run and hide and act like none of it's happening. (laughs) But that's just not real life. I tell you, a psalm that's really helpful is Psalm 139, because it talks about how God knows us and he knows every thought, even before it comes out of our mouth. And what we have to realize is who is in charge? Not right now. Who is really in charge? God is in charge Mm -hmm. and he's got my back. Yeah. And that's so helpful to remember who's got your who has your back today. Jesus has your back today. That's right. Well, and I just today on social media, I had asked, you know, what is Do you have that verse or that maybe that thought that just runs over in your head at times? And mine was, God, you are in control because I try to take the reins back constantly. And so when I'm spinning out of control, I just got to keep saying it. God, you are in control. 
Uh-huh. You were the one in control. <laughs> You're the one in control. And not you know, me. <laughs> that's true. We're not in control. And you know, you'll be doing that the rest of your life. Here I am a grandmother and I'm still doing that. But the blessing of getting older and walking through the seasons is you realize that really part of getting older and growing deeper with the Lord is realizing more and more how much we need him, mm-hmm. how much we depend on him. And so, so often in I sort of um, say there's two ways of growth. We grow two ways. We grow naturally and we grow spiritually. And neither one is not better than the other. They're parallel tracks. In natural growth, we are growing in independence. You teach your little kids how to dress themselves, how to make their school lunches. You know, when they hit to become, become teenagers, how to manage money. That's natural growth because we want to raise independent kids. Right. Independent kids who are confident that they can do it. That's a good thing. Spiritual growth, on the other hand, is becoming more dependent, is saying over and over again to the God, I can't, I can't. But what happens to us without even our realizing is that we apply the rules of natural growth. I should be able to do this by myself Mm. to spiritual growth. Lord, I should be able to do this. I should be able to do this. And that messes us all up. Because Jesus loves it when we get leveled and we say, I can't. I think Mm -hmm. those are two words he loves. So take care that you don't confuse your oughts of natural growth with your dependence of spiritual. Now that, yes, wise, wise word for (laughs) sure. I actually talk about this concept a lot in my book, Risky Faith. And that's the most recent one, correct? Besides the devotional? Well, I have two recent books that go hand in hand. Risky Faith is one. And then there's a companion book to that, but it's also can stand on its own called The One Devotional. So those two go together. Those two go together. And what has helped me with this, Amber, is what I have found is how easy it is at any transition or any season in life to let your issue, whether it's a problem with a child, whether it's a, a relational issue with a girlfriend or a husband or an extended family member, Whatever is your one, two, or three top burdens or prayer requests or issues on your heart, as we think about them and pray about them even, and as women and moms, we try to fix them because that's in our DNA to fix things for people. What happens is the issue can easily become bigger in our heads than our almighty God. And so the solution is not to grit our teeth and say, oh, okay, I will trust, I will trust, I will trust. The solution to this is to focus on who God is, Mm, his character, character. who he is. One of my favorites is you are a go before you, God. Mm. God, you are going before me this day. You are a preparer of the way. You are one who rescues. So the book, Risky Faith, and really specifically the book, The One Devotional, The One Devotional is 100 traits, character traits of God, 100 verses, and 100 thoughts for 100 days. So I began just to ask the Lord to give me one character trait to dwell on yeah. each day. And that has that is what made up the one devotional. And that's really transformed my life in a huge way because it's our tendency is to focus on our issues yeah. rather than on how big God is. We know in our heads he's big, but to walk in it daily is hard. And is. having one trait to focus on really helps. And really... I'm not great at doing that all the time, but there have been times when I do that. And it's amazing how many times the trait that you're focusing on at that moment is exactly applicable 
to what your issue is. And I don't think that's just a God thing. I think that most of the time his character in general really does surround whatever it's applicable to almost every issue. Oh, no it, matter is. What. it is. Yeah. Cause he's such a big God. Right. And yet he's such a personal God. Yeah. And he speaks to us just in the manner that we need. Mm-hmm. Well, so what are some of those questions as we're talking about this, that let's say you're in the midst of transition what are some questions to really ask yourself to go ahead and build up that character of God? Well, I think one is what am I afraid of and what character trait of God speaks to that fear? Mm. Because as we dwell on who he is, that's the only way we can be reminded that our fear will dissipate. So mm-hmm. here's an example. One of the phrases that's over and over in scripture is he's a with us God. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I love that trait. So in fear, I say to myself, one of your traits, God, is you're with us. You're with us. You're with us. I have a um, a granddaughter who was having trouble sleeping, and she would just have nighttime fears. And I, so I was trying to figure out, what can I do to help her? And I took her to Psalm 121. And Psalm 121 is that has a verse, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, who he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Mm. The Lord watches over me. So we went to Target and we got a pillowcase and I wrote out these verses on the pillowcase for her, put it on her pillow so that she could sleep on the word of God which is kind of funny. But just to remind her, great, God doesn't sleep or slumber. He's watching over you. So the trait that I was trying to imprint upon her consciousness, which I also need for myself, is he's a watching over you, God. He's a watching over you, God. He's a watching over you, God. I love that because you can really just slowly walk through scripture and proclaim the character of God And there's so much more than just the general big things we think of, that he's creator, he's provider, he he is. But that is so practical. He's a watching over you, God. And I mean, just those little practical things that he is a with us, God. See, I'm a personal type of person in the sense of, like you said, you're a people person. So I like it when it really gets down on my level. And I feel like, okay, he's kind of like, he's walking with me hand in hand right now. You know, he goes before us and he hems us in behind too. Right. That's okay. And see, that's a great one too. I love that. He's a God who hems us in. Yes. So here's a way. To start, if this is new for you and some of the listeners, is start with the book of Psalms Mm -hmm. and read a psalm and ask the Lord to give you one character trait, like Psalm 147 is great. Psalm 145 is great, if you don't know where to go. Psalm 103 is great. There's just oodles of them. But one of the things I love about the psalms, and I read a psalm every single day, is that David, who wrote many of them, is brutally honest. I mean, he gets ticked with God. He, <laughs> I love it. David's I, my man. You know, some people are like, yeah. Paul, I'm like, no, Paul rubs me the wrong way. David's like real, you know. <laughs> David is real. Yeah. And so he expresses some of our own angst. Yeah. But then he turns back to the character of Always. God. And so if you're hunting for character traits, that's a great place to go. Another great place also is chapter one of Ephesians. Okay. If you want to be in the New Testament, just read chapter one and circle 
every character trait it mentions of God. Yeah, and I will make sure oh, that all of these that you've mentioned, I'll put in the show notes too, because sometimes people just ask, what did she say? And I'm like, go there and you can find it, which, and this is a good time to even bring up that you've talked a lot about transition. I think it was at a women's retreat. Was it at your church? That's right. It was for our church, but I've also spoken on the topic yeah. in many other churches, but I did a full on retreat on trusting God in life's transitions. And all of those talks are on my website. You can yes. listen to them you know, anytime you want. Yeah. And I'll make sure so that I link those messages. too, because yeah. I listen to a little bit of them. And again, I mean, it's just the wisdom of how do we go about transitions? Cause you're not going to get away from them. I still just love that you said, you know, stability is not the norm. <laughs> right. <laughs> Transition craziness Transition is the norm. Is the norm. Um, well, unexpected transition is just a whole other, you know, bear to deal with really loss, you know, unexpected death. Um, I feel like in our Christian community right now, that's just been, there's been a lot of that. And so what are some encouragement for people once they really experience that unexpected transition? Yeah. Oh, life is full of unexpected transitions. And I would say one of the things that's important is to remember to reserve judgment. Mm. on how you feel about things. Yeah. For example, an unexpected move, you get transferred. And a month into the move, one of your friends says, well, how's it going? Do you like the new place? Well, you know, your response is, you know what? I'm in transition. Don't ask me for a year. Don't make any judgments about mm. how you like the place or don't like a place for at least a year in a new job. Amen to or that. <laughs> you have, yeah, you have... Perhaps you've been betrayed or you have a crisis or in your community or in your family, and it's really, really painful. Again, reserve judgment. And I think it's important to realize that in a transition that's really a painful one, we feel insecure, and insecurity can breed a critical spirit. We can become critical of different people that are involved or ought to be involved and are not. And I can find in my head, I'm getting really critical of this person or that person or that person. And it helps to fall back on the fact that I'm feeling insecure because I'm in a major unexpected transition and I need to cling to you, Jesus. Mm. And I need to guard my thoughts. Um, You know, Romans says we're to be about the renewing of our mind. Well, what does that mean? That means I stop focusing on that person that's causing me grief and I put my focus back on who Jesus is. Mm. The things that you've just said, he is still in charge. Yeah. He has me hemmed in behind him before. He knows the future. And I just repeat those and often out loud to myself. Yeah. But so I think the key is it's very easy to lose perspective and to help this not happen. We need to reserve judgment. And just say, okay, Lord, whatever, remembering he's in charge and be sensitive to the fact that we are vulnerable to a critical spirit. Yeah, we are just vulnerable. And and, you know, that brings up another point. I think it's important to guard against the enemy, to recognize the enemy. We do have an enemy. Absolutely. Um, Jesus himself was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days by the enemy. And often in our culture, people either make too much of Satan or they don't take him seriously. Mm-hmm. And both of those extremes are not healthy. But we do need to recognize him and how he might attack us. And one of his greatest weapons is discouragement. 
just because it's so subtle and it's a general malaise and we get discouraged. Mm -hmm. We have to go back and remember who God is and that he's got us. And I think often what causes girls discouragement in particular is comparison trap. Well, she's got three kids and she's running a business and she's about to die in a pile. You know, don't compare yourself. And social media just feeds that picture on Pinterest, on Instagram, on Facebook. There's still sinful behind every one of those pictures is a sinful person. Mm -hmm. And nobody has it all together. A helpful thing to remember is there's always data missing. Yeah. You don't know what's going on behind that face. Yeah. So be alert to the attacks of the enemy, one of which is discouragement. Another little thing that I have learned in this realm is it's helpful to distinguish between condemnation and conviction. Yes. Yes. Because condemnation says you're a lousy mom. You'll never make it in your career. You have let down your parents. That's condemnation. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ. That is conviction. Conviction is a specific um, conviction by the Holy Spirit. Susan, you shouldn't have spoken to your husband in that way, and you need to go and ask him for forgiveness. That's a specific conviction. Condemnation is often, this has helped me, condemnation is often general, and it's from the enemy. Absolutely. Conviction is specific, and that can be from the Holy Spirit calling us to repent and make amends. Yeah, I was just speaking to um, Jeannie Cunyon this week, and we were talking about that spirit of condemnation, and I shared that with a couple of friends, too. Like, condemnation is straight from the enemy and conviction from the Holy Spirit, and they do look so different. It's like you said, that specific versus general And I'd said, you know, the enemy loves to guilt us and shame us. That is not the way of our God. Right. Our God does not guilt and shame. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's like that's the enemy or our own flesh. We can't even always blame it on the enemy. I mean, a lot of times it's just our own sinful flesh. (laughs) Right. Guilting Guilting and shaming ourselves, our children, whoever. And I, listen, I am not just speaking to the crowd. I'm speaking to myself because... (laughs) I definitely can get in a routine of, like you said, being critical of myself and also being very critical of my children and shaming them into obeying, which that's not of God. Right. You know, I mean, and so that goes right back to the whole renewing of your mind and how that's a cyclical type of thing. It is a cyclical type of thing. And you know what? Again, cut yourself some slack. You'll be doing this for the rest of your life. Because another little phrase from the enemy is, really, you should have figured this out by now. You should be on top of this. But that's not going to happen. We are going to grow deeper and handle it better, but it will always be a challenge because of our sin nature. Well, in that verse that talks about, you know, we share it so often about how God will finish a good work in us, but it says... It will not be complete until the day of Christ Jesus. And so often we don't put that part in. And I'm like, yes, remember the day of Christ Jesus. I mean, when he comes back to get us, that's when it's complete. Right. So it's in process up until that time. (laughs) My mom used to always say, God does what's best, not necessarily what's fast. Oh, yes. And that's really good to remember. That is good to remember. When parenting a teen transitions for the child and the parent are certainly frequent. And you have written an article that is called Encouragement, and I'll make sure that I link this, but Encouragement for the Season of Parenting Teens, 
Will you share a few of the tips um, just to help a parent progress from one, again, of exasperation to one of just embracing that season and enjoying it? Let me just first say about the season principle altogether. Again, every season has challenges Mm -hmm. and every season has blessings. Mm -hmm. And you need to be specific about the challenges. You don't say if somebody says, how are you doing? And you're having more than a superficial conversation. It's not, oh, everything's wonderful. I'm just praising Jesus. Usually that's not very honest. You know, I'm sleep deprived. I'm cranky. Pray for my baby to sleep. That's a challenge of parenting little people. Uh, But then there are blessings, too. I remember, as a matter of fact, when our twins, we have twins, were about four and we were at the beach for the first time. And Libby looked at the ocean. She saw the ocean for the first time and her eyes just got huge. And she said, Mommy, it's too big. You need to let some of it out. (laughs) You know. Toddlers say the funniest things. That's a blessing of the toddler's years. Now, the only reason I remember that, Amber, is I quickly wrote it down on a scrap of paper, put her initials in the date. Y'all have cell phones today, so you just put a file or a note section for each one of your children. And when they say, if they're toddlers, when they say something funny, enter it. So you'll have it one day to share with them. Such a good idea. The teen years... Teens don't say very funny things, so that's not a blessing (laughs) of the teen years. You know, that's a blessing unique to the toddler years. But one of the blessings of the teen years, and yes, there are challenges. Let me speak to a challenge first. One of the challenges of the teen years is how much to hold on and how much to let go. Mm. And you have to distinguish between swing issues and crucial issues. You know, that tattoo or that three piercing, if you don't like it, or a messy room, are those swing issues or crucial issues? Mm. One of the questions to ask yourself is, is this a character issue? Lying is a character issue. Deception is a character issue. Those are crucial issues. Anything that is clearing God's word or that is a character trait is a crucial issue. Mm. So you have to think of places to let up with your teenagers. For example, one, perhaps you have a junior in high school this year. Junior year is really hard. You've got yeah. all the college pressure. You've got everybody asking you, where, where are you applying? It's really difficult. Yeah. And this particular child just has room is like a pig pen. Okay. <laughs> what this about is, if you have a six-year-old who's like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a place to let up. Your child is under enough pressures. Just shut the door to the room and let it go. Uh, One day his or her roommate will straighten her out, possibly, or a spouse will. But honor, integrity, courage, a servant's heart, a teachable spirit, Mm. these are all character traits that we're trying to build. But with teenagers, I think the thing that teens most need is hope because often, particularly young teenagers, for example, you may never know how your 13-year-old is going to walk in the door from school. She may be really up because the right girls asked her to eat lunch with them or really down because a certain boy didn't look at her during the day or speak to her. And you just sort of have to brace yourself because it's an emotional roller coaster, particularly if you have girls. I have both. And I think in some ways, girls are harder to raise than boys. Boys get upset with each other and just kind of punch it out. But (laughs) girls, you know. Girls change best friends about every three days. So, oh, um, girl, it's I'm, I can't help but interrupt because it's so true. I mean, I don't even have teens yet, but I have a nine, a seven, and a three-year-old. And my nine-year-old will say something to my daughter, and I mean, she is wounded. Oh, yeah. I mean, wounded. And he's like, 
I don't even remember what I said. I mean, like, (laughs) seriously, 20 minutes later, and he doesn't even remember what happened. And she is still just so hurt by it. And it's so interesting to me because I'm like, they're parented the same. I really do just think it's the sex. You're so right. (laughs) It is almost hysterical, the difference between boys and girls. Yes. But one thing they universally need is hope. Yeah. And I remember when one of our daughters was struggling, just she didn't like anybody. She didn't like herself. She didn't like her her brothers. (laughs) She didn't like her sister. She didn't really much like her parents. I remember thinking, how can I encourage this, that this will pass? Because a teenager doesn't have perspective and they think it's always going to be like this. And so I just wrote a note to her on a piece of paper. And I just said, dear daughter, here are all the things I admire from you. I admire about you. All of the things I see in you is being as specific as I could. And I put also in the note, I know you're having a hard time right now. I know you don't like your siblings. I know you don't like yourself very much. And I know you don't like me and your dad very much. But I want to tell you one thing I can promise you. One day you'll be okay. And one day we'll all be really good friends. Oh, yeah. Now, Did she comment on that note? No, you know, but you will find that note. That's an unrealistic expectation for parents, please. You know, your teenagers, your young teenagers in particular are not likely to say, oh, mom, that was such a sweet note you wrote. Not going to happen. But one day you may find that note folded up in her desk drawer. So sometimes with teens, what they need most is hope. And sometimes the hope comes better in a post-it note or a note they can save and reread because they don't have to respond emotionally Mm. and they've got it to save. So use post-it notes, stick them all over the place, put love post-it notes in your kids' lunch bags if they go to school. So kids just need hope. Another thing I think that helps during these teen years is to really love on your children's friends. Mm. Do everything you can to make your home the teenage hangout. Have a lot of food. If you have food, (laughs) they will come. Have food (laughs) and don't choose this season to redecorate because your couch is going to get spilled on. It's going to happen. But the more important thing to think about is you can control what goes on in your own home. You cannot control what goes on in someone else's home. And it's really better to have all the kids at your house. So that's just another hint. And that's a way you can also get to know your kids' friends and use what I call the clue in principle. You clue in someone to the needs and personalities of another. I remember when my son, John, was inviting a bunch of guys over. He was a young teenager for an evening, and I knew a boy named Joe was coming. And so I said to my son, John, John, I don't know Joe. Clue me in as to what Joe is like, because I need some conversation starters. Like, is he into arts? Is he into music? Is he into electronics? Is he into what what are his passions, sports? Because I'd love to be able to have a conversation with him. And John said, Mom, he's into art. And he has a rough situation at home because his parents don't understand that. And they are not very pleased that that's the trajectory that he's on. So it would be really great if you talked to him about his art. And Mom, it would be even cooler if you asked him to bring his portfolio over and show it to you sometime. So that was huge help to me. I had no idea. But so that's a way that we can love on our children's friends But also you need sometimes to get your kids to help you to know, okay, what are they interested in? How can I care for them? So I have to ask, was your house the hangout? It was for a big season and we didn't have a really big house. So here's what made our house the hangout in the early years. I got 
something that cost $10. It was big. It took up room that I didn't want it to take up. It made our house the hangout, at least for the warm season. It was a ping pong table I got secondhand at a garage sale, and I put it in our garage. Our garage was full of just stuff, which I moved out of the way and put the ping pong table in there. The the garage had never seen a car. Um, Yeah. But that became the neighborhood hangout. And right outside the garage is a basketball goal. And that's where all these boys would gather for these great ping pong matches. Yeah. So that was something that's really inexpensive to do, but it made a big difference. Well, and so here's my other question. How often did you really go to the store? See, I'm asking these practical (laughs) questions because I know this to be true because my husband was raised in a family where his house kind of was the hangout. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to be at home. I do not take that out on my parents at all. My parents were both working parents and it was just the nature. But I mean, I struggle now so much to just let go of the perfection of, I just want everything to stay in order. I cannot handle this because in my brain, the chaos is just too much, but I'm trying to break that down. Yeah. Here's the way you have to look at it. You have to look at it as this is for a short season. But what I had to decide then was, okay, is it more important that I have a neat house or that I have happy kids right now who are having fun? And this is a short season. So never since have I cleaned my house right before cousin camp because it's an unrealistic expectation. So I think if you can see things in terms of this is a short season, that is really helpful. I know, and somehow getting the replay in my brain at the moment when I'm feeling crazy to say nobody's going to remember how clean or orderly my house is. Instead, they're going to remember being at my house and whether they enjoyed themselves or whether the whole time they were stressed because I was running around like a crazy person with my head cut off yelling at everybody. That's exactly true. What are you building? Are you building memories that will be, gosh, her mom sat down and talked to me. And, you know, you also don't have to have a be a great cook, which I'm not. You know, you just get the junk food or the hors d'oeuvres or the veggies or the sodas and you just have plenty of it. Yeah. So how often did you go to the grocery? Well, we're getting real practical here. (laughs) Yeah. You know what, Amber, I can't remember, but I have five children. So I was always at the grocery store. I know. For real. I buy snacks and I'm like, I don't even have teenagers yet. What am I going to do when I have teenagers? I mean, I have daughters your age and they order food off Amazon. They order snacks, big boxes yeah. of snacks off Amazon. I didn't have that luxury. And I had five children in seven years oh, and dragging Jesus. five little children <laughs> to the grocery store was really not fun. So sometimes I would get up early in the morning at six or seven and go to the grocery store before my husband went to work. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like the things yeah. you'll do. I mean, it's good for me to hear for some from someone who is in a, in a grandparent position now. Because as much as it seems stressful to me, I'm like, okay, here is Susan. She had five kids. And yeah, I mean, she couldn't just call up shipped. Like she had to physically go to the grocery store. And I mean, I still go, but I get half of mine as an online order. And then I go to my other store, you know, to get whatever. (laughs) And so I just need to remind, it's just good reminders. And I know if I feel that way, there's plenty of listeners out there who are like, I hear what you're saying, but I just need the practical day-to-day Like, I'm not alone, and how do I move forward in this? Yeah. And just remember, it's not going to last forever. And another thing that's, I think, important in the early seasons of your life in particular is you have to postpone to the next season in life something you'd really like to be doing now. Mm. 
you can't do it all in any one season. I remember I was speaking in Atlanta a few years ago and a a frazzled mother of four kids came up to me and she said, Susan, I'm a cook and I love to entertain and I'm kind of the hospitality queen of my neighborhood and we have these lovely dinner parties all the time. And I am just so struggling with pulling that off with these four little children. And I said, you know what? Give it up for a few years. Just postpone it. God's not going to take this gift of cooking Mm. and creativity and hospitality away from you. He just wants you to wait and to use it in the next season because you're making yourself crazy in this season. You can't do you cannot do it all in any one season. And that's such a good perspective. I remember hearing Jill Briscoe say the whole idea of balance is just a lie that we feed ourselves because there's no way everything can be perfectly balanced. You have these different boxes, you know, your mothering, your wife, your, let's say in this, in the case you're just talking about, you enjoy cooking. There's no way all three of those boxes can be equally across the stage. Something's got to be forward and something's got to be backward. There's no such thing as true equal balance. We strive for that never going to get there. It's a juggling act. We're always juggling. Yeah. And then with, I mean, that's the thing with transition too. There's no way for it to stay balanced because stuff's always changing. That's right. Well, let's say somebody right now has that senior in high school and the mama's preparing for their first little babe to leave the nest. And you've been through that five times now. (laughs) And and, and I think you've had a couple of them come back and then go out again, right? (laughs) Isn't that the story? But What do you say to them? Because you've written a book too about empty nest. And I have a couple of dear, dear friends who have just walked through that. And it's a hard time. It's a hard time. And actually, that's the reason Barbara Rainey and I wrote the book, Barbara and Susan's Guide to the Empty Nest, because we were new into it. Well, I was a couple years ahead of her. And we had a third friend who said, tell me about the empty nest. How do you do it? And we looked at her and we said, we have no clue. Because... (laughs) There was nothing at that time written on the empty nest. And the thing that's difficult about the empty nest is you don't know you're you can be out of practice with deep friendships because if you're a parent of teenagers in the the last years, you're spending more of your time on the soccer field and the basketball court and at their events than you are hanging out with girlfriends. When you're the parent of toddlers, you're spending time with play dates and you have companionship. Right. And then the other thing about the empty nest is that it hits people at different times because some people may have two children and it hits them very fast and they're there, but their best friend still has three at home. Yeah. And so that's hard. And so one of the things that happens in the empty nest is loneliness. Mm -hmm. Another challenge is how do you reconfigure your marriage in the empty nest? And that's a crucial question. But the empty nest is a hard season because unlike the season of parenting toddlers, which has a, a beginning and an end, or parenting teens, which has a beginning and an end. The empty nest is sort of like jello. You think you get it in a mole and it leaks out somewhere else and goes on for years and years. And so I would just say to somebody whose children, who's got a junior in high school, not, I don't, I feel awkward promoting my own book, but to read it, girl, grab, that's why you're on here. <laughs> One of the reasons. I would say grab the book that Barbara Rainey and I wrote on the empty nest and it will encourage you. The big thing it will do is it will help you feel not so alone. And we shared tons of stories. We interviewed a hundred women across the country and 
we have a lot of what I think is helpful advice in there from being the helicopter mom, to the hands-off mom. Where do you find the balance to parenting adult children to what happens when your kids begin to get married to relating to elderly and ill parents while you're trying to you're trying to launch your own children. There's tricky things going on in this season. So this book and all of my others are available uh, right on my website. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I am just so grateful for the wisdom that you've shared today. And, you know, it's certainly been helpful for me because, like I said, I I don't change is something that's really hard for me. And I think it's hard for a lot of people. But my husband and I have definitely found comic relief in um, how much progress I've made from our very (laughs) first transition, which was getting married. And then our second big transition, which came like six months after we were married, was we moved from Kentucky to Florida After he lost his job. So we laughed that we can laugh now at the time we were not laughing (laughs) that, you know, like the biggest stressors in a marriage, like almost all of them happened to us within the first 12 months. And so we're like, okay, we can do this. You know, so I've come a long way. Thanks to the Lord. Well, way to go. And you know what? You have a sense of humor, Amber. And that's something that's really important is we need to laugh more. We need to choose laughter over frustration. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. It definitely um, helps a lot to just laugh a little bit. But we close out our show with a couple of questions. And so there are just seasons in our life when we have to cling to the grace of God so tightly. And I mean, God's grace is always evident in our life. But there are times when there's nothing else we can do but cling to his grace. Do you have a season or an incident in your life that you could share where you really just found yourself clinging to God's grace? Well, one that was kind of a pretty dramatic one was about three years ago when one of our grandsons got very ill, and it turned out that his uh, liver was failing, and he needed a liver transplant. He was four years old at the time, and we thought we were going to lose him, and the phrase, the character trait that just came to my mind is, you know, we can lose our kids, we can lose our house, we can lose our health, we can lose everything, but we cannot lose the presence of Jesus. And the trait, I'm a with you, God, I'm a with you, God, I'm a with you, God, was what really sustained me as we and many others stayed up at the hospital all night long while at the last minute he got a new liver was donated and we heard the helicopter land on the roof of the hospital bringing the new liver. And a whole bunch of us were praying in the hospital chapel and throughout the night. And the community of believers was just astounding and you know, he is today eight years old and he's fine. But that was a real, you know, that was a very hard thing for our family, but it was also a good heart. You know, we go through really hard times. All of us will, but the good that has come out of that has been really amazing. So you cling to Jesus. Sometimes whatever you're going through, all you can do is say, you're with me, God, you're with me, God, you're with me, God. And you know, that was God's word to Joshua, you know, be strong and courageous. Why? For I am and with, with you. you wherever you go. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I know so many times I've definitely said, just cling to the hem of his garment. That's all you can do sometimes is hold That's on for dear do. life, knowing he's not That's leaving right. you behind. Yeah. Well, if you had the opportunity to sit down with your great grandchildren and share some wisdom with them, what would you like for them to know? I think the most important thing, and this is actually a prayer that I've prayed for myself and then all of our kids and then all of our grandchildren, is that they would fall in love with the Word of God. Yeah. Because it's really the Word of God that's going to sustain us. And yeah. so, you know, that's my most fervent prayer for all of my people. 
And I share that frequently with my kids. You know, my prayer for you this year is that you would really fall in love with his word. And I I had the sweetest text a couple of weeks ago from my 14-year-old granddaughter who said, Dear Gee, the kids call me Gee, Dear Gee, I wanted to tell you that I decided I wanted to do something new this year. So I'm using the one devotional book that you wrote that you gave us. And I looked up the one word for today, and I'm going to do it every day. And the one word for today was, he knows me. Mm. And she said, that helps so much as I start a new school, just to think about walking the halls. He knows me. He knows me. So So I think that's the most important thing we can pray for our kids. So before we close out, then tell me, because I think sometimes people get so caught up with praying that it's got to be this certain way. And I just want people to know it doesn't. It's as simple as just saying, give my children a love of your word. So what does that prayer sound like when you pray it for your kids, your grandkids? You know, Amber, prayer is just having a conversation. That's all it is. There's no special words. There's no special formula. What Jesus wants is for us to be his intimate friend. And we can be on a run and I can be thinking something that's stressful and I can just say, help, Lord, take that thought out of my mind. Or, Lord, see that child, that child's hurting. Please help right now. Please intercede. Or a son who's in a difficult situation. Lord, he needs generous wisdom today. You promised in James that if we lack wisdom, you give it generously. And too often we think he just sort of parcels it out very frugally. Lord, we need generous wisdom in this situation, generous wisdom. So prayer is just having a conversation with your best buddy. I love it. And that's where that knowing God's word does really come in. Because when you know it, you can just pray his promises back to him. And he's like, oh, yeah, not that he forgot, but it's almost like, hey, you said this. (laughs) You know, it's like looking at your best friend and being like, you told me this is what you're going to do. And now I need you to do it. Exactly. And you know, that's what David did. That's what the psalmist did. So we have good company. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here today. And I'll make sure that I link all of your resources and everything that you mentioned today in our conversation. Thank you so much, Amber. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. With the holidays upon us, I am preparing for some giveaways that will take place on my Instagram account. If you aren't a follower, hop over to Instagram and search Grace Enough Podcast underscore Amber to follow along and enter to win. You can find the links, resources, and scripture verses mentioned during today's episode at graceenoughpodcast.com under the show notes tab. Have a blessed week, friends. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.